and welcome to Love Your Library, Hampshire Library's podcast. I'm Hattie Dulac, here with my co-host Kate Price-McCarthy. Hi Kate. Hi there Hattie, good to see you again. And so yeah, first question we always ask, what are you reading at the moment? Or what have you just read? What have I just read? Yes, I've actually finished this one, but I recently picked up a novel that has been taking book talk by storm. So it's called Yellow Face by R.F. Quang, and it's been described as a sort of satire of racial diversity in the publishing industry, following a young writer who publishes her dead friend's material under her own ethnically ambiguous pen name. It's a really fun look at a very fickle industry that I think would probably be of much amusement to many of our listeners. Don't know if you've read that one, Kate. I haven't. I keep seeing its cover everywhere. It's such a striking cover. It is very striking. I'm intrigued. So, yeah, it is on my list to read. I have just finished listening to A Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, which I absolutely loved. It was a, a Borovox audiobook. Absolutely brilliant. And it's based on David Copperfield, but reset to recent times in the sort of Appalachian heartland of America. No money, real poverty, ex-industrial, ex-mining area. And it, uh, it links really well with a book I read earlier this year about the Sackler family and the Empire of Pain, which looks at the same kind of community of the, the impact the pain medication scandal had on this real area of poverty in America. So mm. absolutely top recommendation. That's very persuasive, Kate. I think I'm going to have to give that <laughs> one a go. Adding it yeah. to my to-read list as we speak. It's a tough read, but it's so beautifully written and it does have great humour and it's uplifting as well. So uh, she's a great, great author. So moving on to our guest for this episode, uh, Beth O'Leary. Beth is a best-selling author with a background in children's publishing. Her books have taken the literary world by storm, with her debut, The Flat Share, being published in over 30 countries and making it to the top of must-read lists everywhere, including mine. Yeah, Beth's writing style is great fun and we had uh, it was such fun speaking to her about her latest novel the wake-up call all the books mentioned during the interview will be listed in the show notes so you can top up your own to be read pile one of the reasons it was great to speak to beth is she really is such a hampshire writer and this book in particular the location is so much a, a part of hampshire and you can see her love of the area that shines through and you'll hear when she talks about it we love a hampshire local So without further ado, let's not wait any longer. Here's Kate's interview with Beth O'Leary. Thank you so much for joining us on the Love Your Library podcast to talk about your new book, The Wake Up Call. Um, Could you start by telling us a little bit about the story? Yes, I'd love to. So The Wake Up Call is about Izzy and Lucas, who are receptionists at a beautiful ramshackle falling down hotel in the New Forest Um and uh, the hotel's really struggling to stay afloat. Um, and Izzy finds a collection of wedding and engagement rings in in the lost property. Um, and she returns one of them. To, she finds the owner, returns it and gets a substantial reward for the hotel. So management get very excited um, and think this might be the answer to all their problems. And they set Izzy and Lucas the task of returning all of the rings. Um, but this is even more challenging than it sounds because Izzy and Lucas absolutely despise each other. (laughs) Before I go a bit more into that side of the story, 
I don't want to give this the impression that this is a story that's overly dominated by Christmas, but I have to say it's like the perfect story to read, like in the run-up to the 25th of December, you know, to get into uh, the mood of it. It reminds me, well, I'm sure there I'm sure it's a conscious reminding because it comes up in the story as well. Uh, the movie Love Love Actually, when yeah. people, people start, I've got my my uh, stepdaughters, they won't allow themselves to start watching it until November, but they watch it every They're year. very disciplined. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it starts in November, so they have to start watching it in November, uh, and yeah. they get into the Christmas spirit. And I can imagine that Beth O'Leary fans might have a traditional reread at this time of year. <laughs> I love that idea. So is that something that you were kind of thinking about when you were writing? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted this to be a wintry novel. I've never written a book sort of set over Christmas time before. Um, and I hope you can read it anytime, but it definitely is one that's that's lovely to read at sort of cosy time of year. Um, and also just there's something about hotels in in winter that is just so much more romantic than hotels at any other time of year. You know, you think hotel and actually sometimes that can feel a bit cold and corporate, you know. But if you think hotel at Christmas, suddenly it's magical and there's a giant tree in the lobby and people spending Christmas together who might otherwise never cross paths. And it's interesting what you say about love, actually, because I think there's definitely a nod to that to that film in this book, but also in, you know, in the way that that starts with that sort of iconic airport scene and and it's that kind of idea of lots of lives coming together in real emotion like I actually part of what fascinated me about hotel is that same thing of like bringing incongruous people together in in one space and kind of creating a sort of particularly if they're coming together at Christmas time kind of creating a, a temporary family sort of for for all these people that that might otherwise never cross paths I absolutely agree because I do think, yeah, one of the central themes of the book is about this sense of family that mm. we create with our friends, but also if we're lucky enough within our working lives. And yeah. absolutely, uh, you get that that feeling comes across so much that this hotel becomes a, a, the family and the yeah. staff members are family members. And when it's threatened, then that's the loss of those really close connections. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is that something, a theme that you were really keen to explore? Yeah. And it's interesting because now I have a very lonesome job, really, as much as I love, love, love this job. And I couldn't, I couldn't dream of doing anything I'd, I'd want to do more. One of the strange things about being an author is for a lot of the year, you are kind of just on your own. And I do, one thing I do miss is that those connections that you form at work with people who you know, if the first time you meet them, you maybe think, oh, I'm not going to get on with them. But then you sit with them and you have meetings with them yeah. day after day and you find your common ground and you find your way to connect. And it's sort of that lovely found family, isn't it? And and um, and it's it's choosing, it's the people that you 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 choose to find the good in and, and find how you connect. And Izzy and Arjun, I think in the book have that, have that sort of friendship. They, they kind of have found, they really know each other now. They've worked together for eight years and they just. This is the, this is the, uh, ex yeah, the chef, well, the chef. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It is really interesting. Those work relationships where you start off and you're slightly kind of friction to start, mm. but then you find your points of common interest and you get to love exactly. who they are. And they're the kind yeah. of people that you ma maybe would never have met through just kind of friendship, but, uh, you yes, really precisely. Cause Otherwise, you you would never have crossed paths. And I always love an unlikely friendship in my books. I I just find it 
I don't know, it's very heartwarming, isn't it? When two people who who maybe disagree on things or, you know, live their lives differently, but they find something that they share. So yeah, there was so much, I, I knew as soon as I knew I was going to write a hotel that I was going to have fun with the side characters and the secondary characters. I always love writing those anyway, but I mean, there were, it, there was just so much potential. I actually helped myself out by closing the upstairs of the hotel <laughs> at the end of chapter one, the ceiling collapses. So, um, so we don't uh, have quite so many guests because I thought I'm just going to be terrible. I'm not going to be able to <laughs> rein myself in. I'm going to have like 50 side characters and no one's going to have time for the plot. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned, because that's one thing that occurred to me, um, that it must be very difficult as a writer. You are writing you've got your actual family around you but yeah you don't have those close bonds of um of mm. working relationship friends like that and, uh, yeah. and it occurred to me that you were writing about something that you might have had in the past but you possibly don't have so much now yeah absolutely and I also think it was interesting someone said to me last week that it's a post-pandemic novel and I was like gosh I've not thought about that at all but I do it's definitely sort of placed in time yes. as as after the pandemic um and partly because like for hospitality, that was such a, a difficult time and it felt like a, 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 it made sense for the hotel to be kind of be in that space. Um, but also I wonder if I was sort of looking for something full of warmth and community at that point, as we all were kind of just coming out the other side and wanting to be with people in a way that we couldn't be before. And hotels are such a, you know, we took for granted that we'd be able to our lives would be able to cross over with strangers lives and then for a while that couldn't happen at all so I wonder if I was a little bit drawn to the hotel myself because <laughs> I kind of wanted to be in one <laughs> yeah. perhaps one where the ceiling was still intact <laughs> <laughs> yeah and now it's interesting you mentioned some of the side characters that that are involved mm. in the story um I really appreciated the inclusion of characters within the story that have disabilities you know one of the guests is a is a wheelchair user and there's another guest with parkinson's and is this sort of uh, inclusivity something i know i i recognize it from your other books as well is, is it something that you're keen to have in your books yeah i mean i think for me those those elements they come in fairly naturally i i always feel like whenever i talk about my books i sound very uh not very purposeful because i do just i i, I don't <laughs> I don't want to say I don't think a great deal about it because I do think an awful lot about it but I think because my world is is full of all kinds of people that's how I want my books to be too um and actually it was very that was a very natural step when I knew that the rooms that would be still open would be the downstairs rooms so I kind of thought who would be in the downstairs rooms and that's how we ended up uh, ended up there but yeah I'd, I hope my books will always feel warm and inclusive I would I would love to think that the start of the book actually took me by surprise because sort of from the blurb on the front of the book, I felt it was going to be like the kind of Pride and Prejudice style where first impressions change over time. But and this isn't a spoiler because it's right at the beginning, but it starts with Izzy confessing to this huge crush on Lucas. Mm. And, uh, but then fast forwards to later on and the, the reader then discovers this now, this is mutual hatred. So it's really cleverly constructed because you start off by wondering <laughs> what on earth has happened to cause this vision. <laughs> So did you have kind of fun with with subverting the the kind of structure that you might have expected? Yeah, I increasingly find when I'm writing, I just want to put the reader right in there. Like whatever it was that made me excited about the idea for the book, 
that is where I want you to be as quickly as possible. Um, and so for me, I really wanted to write Enemies to Lovers. It's such a, you know, it's a it's such a it's a trope at the real heart of of so many rom-com stories. And I wanted to do my own take on it. And I wanted us to be thrown into the world where they despised each other. Um, but I just loved so the 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 opening you're talking about is that there's two Christmas cards. Um and in Izzy's, she she kind of confesses her feelings and um we get the sense that they've not been reciprocated and and uh and then we we kind of fast forward and I think it just gives you enough to be like, I hope it gives you enough to sort of be like, what's going on? I want exactly. to find out. But um doesn't slow you down and you can just get straight into the fun of of these two people who are constantly at each other. <laughs> now I've read before that you say that your characters kind of arrive in your stories bruised. Um, And at one point in the book, uh, Lucas talks about people having more depth to them than you might at first think. And is that something that's important to you? I can see it in your books that um, people have this depth to them that that, uh, readers might be surprised by. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always my way sort of into the story really is I tend to come up with a kind of concept or question or quirk or something that makes me go oh like that would be interesting and then I think who would put themselves in this situation or who might end up here um and then so much of the story comes from me kind of asking who those people are and what their story is um and how they came to this point and um you know, people often sort of, there are often serious themes in my books. This is definitely my my most unequivocally joyful book, I would say. Um, but it still, you know, touches on a few things. And I think, again, it's one of those questions where people often say, why did you pick this topic? And I'll, I'll just sort of feel, I just say, that's what the character was going through. And I didn't really know until I started writing them and then they do something. And I think to myself, why? why you know with with Lucas like why why do you find it so hard to express yourself and for me it's doing you know like I say I wanted to do my own take on enemies to lovers that meant really stepping into like asking the question what kind of person could move from hating somebody to loving them and how could they get there like how could they plausibly get there in a way that feels true and healthy because that was a big challenge with this book is you know, it's not, they're not very nice to each other at the beginning. And I want to celebrate non-toxic relationships. I don't want to kind of create uh, a relationship out of somewhere unhealthy. So it was, it was really interesting to think what kind of person might feel very strongly that they despise somebody. Are they lying to themselves about that? Or is that a genuine feeling? And if so, where is it coming from? And, you know, it just, it, it, it actually was fascinating to unravel kind of how can I, how can I take them from A to B here? Because it's such a distance to go as much as people say that there's a thin line between love and hate, you know, (laughs) it's quite a journey. (laughs) They, they do both behave pretty badly and it is, it's about trying to um, kind of show the reader growth from that, but also help us still love them despite their, uh, flaws there are many flaws 
it's interesting you were saying that you would have would love to stay at this hotel I would so love to stay at this hotel (laughs) and I imagine you must have done a fair bit of research to get it so right Uh, I particularly love the way that Izzy always refers to the Forest Manor Hotel and Spa as I imagine that's kind of (laughs) would answer the phone Uh, so could you tell me a bit about how you got under the skin of what it's like to work in a hotel yeah well one thing is uh doing this job and doing book tours you find yourself staying one night in lots of different hotels around the UK (laughs) um so that's always been very interesting um and I think has probably formed a backdrop to that book um there was a series on the BBC that was really helpful called Hotel People or The Hotel People um which was behind the scenes in a large Irish hotel which was very interesting um and then just like great excuse to go and have lunch at a few fancy hotels <laughs> and watch what people are up to. Um, but the other thing is I had a lot of creative license because it is such a independently managed hotel. I always love it when I can come up with a setting or a job where there's a lot of flexibility for me because um, you know, if it's something where there's loads of rules and things are done a particular way, it can really limit the story. And I, I really liked having an independent hotel run by a couple who do think, you know, and it meant that I could have, for instance, the receptionist doing all kinds of work. And, you know, it, it just gave me lots of room to throw them into situations, give them time off whenever I want to, you know, that kind of thing. So I could kind of, I could use a lot of creative license. <laughs> Now, the book has a very specific location, not not just the hotel, but it's a very Hampshire location as well in the yeah. New Forest. And your love of the area and your character's love of the area really shines through. There are mentions of New Forest ponies and of Brockenhurst and local <laughs> landmarks and of the Winchester Christmas Market. And was that something that you really enjoyed doing? Yeah, it was really lovely to set the novel there, I think, because for me, well, I think of the New Forest as a slightly magical place and I really wanted that to come across in the book and it was such a lovely setting for a wintry novel, like forests and winter and snow. I mean, it's all just perfect, isn't it? Um, And I do, I like to name drop places in books. Um, You know, the no-show has lots of references to Winchester in it. Um, And sometimes it's just a really nice way to make something feel grounded, I think, and feel feel real um and I've had a few people say to me actually at, at uh at reader events over the last couple of weeks like oh I lived there it was so cool to see it in the book so that's nice <laughs> you have an incredible output rate so presumably you must be well into the next book on the on the list so yeah you, what are you working on at the moment so I can't tell you much about the next one but I can say that this is a book I've wanted to write for a very very long time um and it is probably my most ambitious book. It is a think really epic love story. That's what I'm aiming for. The kind of, yeah, just tears in your eyes love story um, is what I'm going for. Um, but it has been, yeah, one of one of the most challenging books I've ever written. I hope it will prove worth, <laughs> worth it. Um, I'm sure it will eventually, but um, there may be a little bit maybe a little bit of a wait between between this one and that one because I am having a baby as well <laughs> so oh, that's very exciting real, real baby and book babies all due, uh, <laughs> all due on the horizon <laughs> uh, well thank you so much for coming and chatting to me and uh, all the very best with your next book and well done many congratulations for this one It 
it was really interesting to hear her talk about the whole topic of how working as a writer, she misses out on that companionship you get when you are in a work environment and you have these friendships with people that you work with. So, um, yeah, it was interesting to get her perspective and lovely to hear her exciting news about her, her new baby. Very exciting. It's quite a unique relationship for a writer to explore that, I think. They don't often go into that very particular relationship that you have with your colleagues, but it's nice to hear it because it feels very relatable, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think it is true. I mean, it is definitely uh, romantic comedy fiction, which was great fun. But as always with Beth O'Leary, she always kind of scratches a little bit deeper than that and starts talking about some issues that are much more about the the wider human condition and often kind of the dark side of it. She's not afraid to to look into those areas that uh, that kind of baggage that uh, the people carry with them and her characters have with them. And I think that makes us stand out more from other romantic comedy writers of this of this sort of vein hmm. well it makes sense because she is incredibly popular so undoubtedly this latest book will be flying off the shelves as well so for the next part of this episode we'll be hearing from one of our library team assistants Anne marie it's always good to hear from Anne marie she's always got very interesting recommendations to make in this discussion all three of us pick books inspired by the kind of pressures and human relationships found in wartime settings Hi Anne-Marie, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello, nice to see you both. Let's start with you and you're from our library in Borden. Um, You're another regular face on the Hampshire Libraries podcast as you very kindly recommended some really excellent titles in the past and we'll include a link to your previous podcast episodes in our show notes. But before we get on to your book recommendation for this episode, uh, I know you've told us a bit in the past about Bourne Library, but I did notice that you've got quite a few things like children's groups and social groups there, as well as all the books, of course. Could you tell us a bit about those sorts of things that happen at Borden? Yes, Borden Library is a very lively library. For example, on Thursdays, we have a Thursday club, which is sort of chat about, but also knit and natter without the knitting. A very good <laughs> core of people come for that on Thursday mornings. We've got rhyme time, a very well attended rhyme time on the Thursdays. And then in the afternoon, depending on which week it is, we might have a book group or the Scrabble Club. And as it's got back into term time, we're having a home ed group in as well. So, yeah, it's it's obviously a real hub of the community in Borden. Yes, it's generally fairly busy. (laughs) And I'm guessing you must have uh, just finished the summer reading challenge. So how did that go in Borden? It has been busy. <laughs> it has been very busy, particularly during the summer holidays. We had some lovely volunteers. Thank you. Thank you, volunteers. Did an excellent job keeping very busy, helping us out. I think overall, Hampshire Libraries do a fantastic job of getting really high numbers of people through. So that's really good to hear. It's definitely been fun. We're just hoping that everyone will keep coming in after school once they've settled back into yeah. school. Yeah, it's a nice habit to start in the summer. So what can people look forward to in the next few months then? Well, we'll always have different book displays. There's the monthly craft. That's the last Saturday of every month. There's construction club every Saturday and you can just build whatever you like. Children are quite involved with that. Parents often get quite involved (laughs) as well. We just count everybody. Yeah. And there's some, it's really fun to see what's being built. It's one of those things that I think it's a bit ageless. I think when you're in the library, you kind of 
can always uh, sense the sense of imagination and, and stuff. Oh, yes. So even adults can get involved. We had some new library members in yesterday, actually, and the mum was thinking, oh, what does she want to read? It was an, an older teen daughter, and I said, well, what do you like watching? And she said rather shyly, I like murders. So I said, right, crime fiction this way. <laughs> Marched her over to the crime section, That's and she, came, she went out with two. That's, a, that's always my go-to area, I have to admit. Yeah. Well, speaking about books that we like and that we're recommending, let's talk about the books that we've got for our listeners today. So, Anne-Marie, would you like to tell us a little bit about the book that you've chosen and why you've chosen it? Well, the book I've chosen is called Pastoral and it's by Neville Shute. That's an author that some people might know, some people might not uh, he has written some quite well-known novels. I think probably the best known is On the Beach and maybe A Town Like Alice. That's one of his as well. But Pastoral, which is my absolute favourite of his so far, is one that you don't hear people talking about as much. It never got a film adaptation like On the Beach or Alice. But yes, to summarise it, it was published in 1944, so it was written during the war and it's set during the war as well. It's set in about, I'd say, spring 43 on a bomber station somewhere in Oxfordshire. The station's called Hartley Magna, but it's a fictional one, only that it's within a bus ride of Oxford is about all we can trace. It's a lovely book. It's different to some of Shoot's because Shoot wrote a whole range of books, quite a few aviation-y ones, hence Bomber Station, mm. but most thrillers or post-apocalyptic in the case of On the Beach. This one is more of a romance, but a very nice romance. At its core, it's the story of the budding relationship, and unfortunately the course of true love never did run smooth, between a Wellington plane pilot, Peter Marshall, and a Women's Auxiliary Air Force, hereafter referred to as WAF, um, <laughs> signals officer who's Gervais Robertson. Yes, her first name is Gervais. Apparently her mother got it out of a book. But it's not just a sweet romance. It's actually very restrained because, of course, it's written during the war. It's written in the tempo and the emotional feel of that period. But it's not just about them. You learn an awful lot about Peter's crew, the other four that fly the Wellington with him, particularly the second pilot slash navigator. You get a good view of the wing commander and his admin officer, oh, Dobby, which is his surname, is brilliant. Yeah, you really get a sense of the community on the base as well. I think that's some of the reason why I love it. Mm. You get a whole sense of everything. One of the things that, as far as I understand, that, well, it's an interesting title for a book that's set in wartime, which is about these these pilots and, and someone in the WAF, that it's called Pastoral. But because there is a lot about their kind of their hobbies and the fact that uh, there's quite a bit about fishing, for example. So it's it's interesting. Why do you think Neville Shute included all of that? I think because while I say it's a romance novel, it's as much about not quite life going on in defiance of war, but the fact that life carries on through the war. Yes, quite a key plot point at one point, actually. The crew go out fishing and they think that their general shared interest in fishing helps with their cohesion as a crew, mm. even though they're split over officer and other ranks. A point which really annoys Peter at a couple of points. <laughs> um, 
It's little details like that that tell you it's written within the war. They go out fishing. He and Gervais go out, also intend to go fishing and end up gathering up some flowers. There's a whole run where he and a, a local go out on the pledge that Peter will be shown a badger and a fox within half an hour. There's then quite a bit of a joke when he gets back onto the station of, was it a fox or was it a woman wearing a fox fur? Answer was, it was indeed a fox, but they're just ribbing him. <laughs> I mentioned the fact that they rib him over the fox is it fox or cootie yeah there's some nice dry humor chesterton the admin officer when things go rough between marshall and gervais he's sent off by the wing commander to basically put a right and say are you going to go back together with marshall are you staying on the station don't muck up one of my best crews please poor dobby's having to balance the fact that one of his best crews is having a bit of a wobble and she says oh it's all right sir i've got them some fishing (laughs) and pins it on the fact that the one season of fishing has ended and they didn't have fishing for the other one they'd been coarse fishers winter fishers and she'd found some trout which leads to a lovely scene with the lady of the house which actually has an absolute emotional gut punch at the end of it Mm. which i will not spoil (laughs) Um, but yes Mm. it has lovely dry humor yeah i love that i think i've only ever read one of neville shoot's books and that is a town like alice and i think that was probably when i was at school and I'd always imagined he was Australian because of the setting in that of that book. But in fact, he, he only emigrated to Australia in the 1950s. So sometime after writing this book. And he was a pilot himself, although he didn't fly in the Second World War. And all of that experience comes through in the book. So what is it that you like particularly about Neville Shute's writing? I'll say what I particularly like about Pastoral, because as you say, Neville Shute has written a lot and there are a lot of different types in his books i haven't read alice yet but that and landfall seem like they might be closest in tone to this but there's something like on the beach which is drastically different or so defiant which is drastically different again so yeah i really like how this one works and how it has the texture of the time it's restrained because romance and emotions were restrained then But equally, it is restrained, but it is so emotionally true. You can tell they are feeling things very deeply, Mm. even if they don't say it. I mean, Peter is 22. He's 22. I'm 29. And yet he is fatalistically thinking, if I get shot down, we get shot down. And later on, he'll do his best for his crew. There is so much emotion, so much feeling, so much care. The wing commander I mentioned earlier, little things. He writes handwritten notes to any of his crew that are injured. Mm. And he's 10, 20 years older than them. But they all feel, and and you know that. Mm. I get wrapped up in books anyway, but you really get, you get them. You get wrapped up in how they're feeling. And that's very real. But not overblown. It's not, oh, wah, wah, he's going to be killed. She's listening on the radio and accepting the possibility of that Mm. and tamping it down. But at the same time, not sleeping, even when she knows he's back all right. Mm. And that's when she says she doesn't love him. She only likes him. Oh, dear. (laughs) And yeah, so he's he's got a very kind of immediate way that you get a sense of people's emotions without it being too flowery at the same time and it is extraordinary to hear what does sound like incredibly accurate depictions of what these young people were going through Mm. it is just quite terrifying to think of their lives and what they had to face Uh, it is extraordinary I was going to ask actually you mentioned that you get wrapped up in books anyway so is this the kind of book that you like to read you know you're mentioning that it's it's got the texture of the time which is such a nice phrase by the way so typically would you be wanting to pick up a book that had that texture to it 
oh yes oh yes yes please books <laughs> that feel right for the time or mm. even modern day ones I suppose I'm much more on the lines of not necessarily restrained emotion but sometimes I feel they go a bit too over exaggerated I mean I like a nice comfort read but yeah particularly with historical I want them to feel right the one that won the Waterstones debut a month or so ago in memoriam written recently but my goodness apart from being a little bit more explicit in certain elements it reads like a Delderfield it reads like a Forster it, it could have been written with someone who'd lived through that time period well both Hattie and I have picked books that were set at least start in the same time period very much the same time period but books that were actually written in present day okay so we've been talking about Pastoral by uh, Neville Shute so uh, let's turn to you now Hattie have you a reading suggestion for us Yes, I do. So as Kate mentioned, the book that I've chosen kind of describes events that happened in previous wars from a present day writer's experience, I suppose. So I think historical fiction, particularly war fiction, is something that I don't read super widely. So I don't necessarily have a great comparison. But now I've heard about this Neville Shoot book, I might pick it up and see how I feel. So yeah, the book that I've chosen is Camilla Shamsi's book called Burnt Shadows which describes the life of a woman who experienced the horrific bombing of Nagasaki in World War II. And it kind of talks about her experience in that moment. And obviously, it's very raw with the emotion of that. But it follows her movements through life and follows the thread of her interactions with other families and her own family, and how through different areas of the globe and through different generations, she experiences different war situations, different conflicts, and how her, you know, personal relationships change in those moments and how conflict really does affect the human relationships in your in your life. So she lives through and in a family of the separation of Pakistan and India. And then people in her family go on to experience the war in Afghanistan and what that conflict meant. And then follow, you know, that follows on to go through 9-11 and stuff. So it charts almost 100 years of history. And I think it's really powerful at showing it doesn't matter maybe even a bit of a cliche in the kind of overall message but you know it doesn't matter which war or how it's fought but it's always hurting someone and you know there's always these catastrophes but the human relationships are what hold people together what hold what families together but yeah I, I really enjoyed it I was really intrigued by the title yeah. when I heard what the title comes from yeah because she's the character the main character am I right to say main yeah, character main, yeah main she's character. wearing a gown in Japan mm. with these flying birds on mm. and when the bomb goes off those images of the birds get sort of seared onto her skin mm. but I I'm presuming then that those burnt shadows is then a metaphor for other incidents and the impact that they have on people's lives yeah. through history. Yeah, I think the burnt shadows as well refers to the physical residue of all that remained of the people that were actually you know, hit by the bomb. Mm. There was not even ash or anything. The only thing that remained was a little smear of a shadow on a floor as a grieving person in wartime that's all you've got to grieve with and it's I think those shadows follow her through her journey with other people and and the point is as well every conflict every moment leaves its own lasting impression on the people around them Mm. Well, possibly horrific, the way it trickles through the layers of time. That sounds fascinating, actually. I've talked before about another of her novels, Home Fire, which is 
probably her most famous title. And that is one of those reimaginings of a, of a classic story. It's Sophocles' play Antigone, set among a family of British Muslims. It's uh, such an interesting book. So that is another one that I would recommend. Yeah, um, I think we've mentioned it on the podcast enough times. If <laughs> listeners haven't picked it up by now, that's it. This is your last chance. <laughs> So we've been talking about Camilla Shamsi's book, Burnt Shadows, and before that, Pastoral by Neville Shute. So what about you, Kate? Have you got a recommendation for us? Well, I decided to go down the wartime route too, and I've picked a book called uh, Still Life by Sarah Winman, which came out a couple of years ago. It starts in 1944 in Florence, so the same year the Neville Shute book was published, And two very different characters come together in Florence at this time, a young Londoner and soldier called Ulysses and a 60-something-year-old art academic called Evelyn. And they meet quite briefly and then they continue their lives back in London. And most of the action centres on Ulysses and this whole host of characters that he knows primarily back in his London pub and which, most importantly, includes Claude the Parrot. So there is tons of stuff about Florence Mm. all through the decades that this story is told. And I defy anyone who reads it not to want to go to Florence (laughs) and visit. And there's also lots about friendships, um, the joy of love, whatever form it takes, and about this sort of the loyal band of people that you have as friends and that become your family. There's a fair bit of whimsy and even a bit of kind of magical realism, which isn't normally my cup of tea, but I would still wholeheartedly recommend it. I'd say it's slightly in the vein of a Kate Atkinson, although some people I know have disagreed with me about it. And I I managed to read this at the same time, both as an audio book and as a hold in your hand book. I kind of alternated between the two. But it's quite nice, you know, because you kind of match whichever medium suits your need at the time. Mm. I'd really recommend the audiobook, actually, which you can get on Box because it's read by the author herself. Again, this is normally something I avoid Mm. like the plague because I don't think the authors are necessarily the best narrators. But in this instance, the author, Sarah Winman, is actually a really good actor. And indeed, she acted for many decades before she turned to writing. So she does a really good job of reading her own book. Somebody in my family gave it to my mother Mm. back in June. She's reading it for the second time now. Oh, really? Well, oh, that's, that's a recommendation if yeah. ever there was Glowing one. Endorsement. A reading within a few months is pretty good. Okay, so just to sum up, um, we've been talking about Camilla Shamsi's book, Burnt Shadows, and before that, Pastoral by Neville Shute. And finally, I've just been talking about Still Life by Sarah Winman. Anne-Marie, can I ask if there are any other books you'd like to give a special mention to that you might have read recently? AJ Pierce's. Dear Mrs. Bird, and then the, the following two. Again, war set, written in a very much, we will keep our chin up, we will be cheery tone. Oh, but they're lovely. This one is about a girl who gets a job in a, she thinks it's a fairly respectable publishing magazine. It turns out to be one that's a little a little bit on the edge, not risque, but just doesn't have a very good readership. The Dear Mrs. Bird, am I right in thinking that it's kind of like an agony aunt letters? Yes, the Dear Mrs. Bird is an agony aunt letter. The original agony aunt in this one, the Mrs. Bird of the title, is very much certainly pre the First World War in her views of just put up with it and get on with it, which... Up to a point is what would be going on in the war. But the fun thing is Emmy starts answering them when Mrs. Bird goes off sick. Emmy with her more modern perspective, Mm. about 30 years younger. 
starts answering them with a more, I say modern, wartime, but modern perspective, which goes down quite well. Mm. But it's lovely. It's got the fun element to it. But actually, there's a, for all of the fun tone, there's a lot of seriousness going on. They're in London in 1940. The dear old Blitz comes along. I think that's book we've had recommended on the podcast yeah, before, and I, I haven't read it yet, no. so I will put it on my to-be-read list. Read it. <laughs> I will. I'll read it this time. <laughs> so just um, while we're talking about it, the format then, is that a kind of, you know, you're mentioning agony aunt letters. Do you get this kind of mix between describing what's going on in the story and then some of it is told via these letters? or something? Not so much. It's first-person point of view on Emmy, but she will read the letters and then write her responses Mm-hmm. And they talk about how the paper is run by about half a dozen of them, if that, mm. and putting it together. So not quite the shift of perspectives. I do love those sort of mixed media novels as well. Mm. In yeah. Memoriam that I mentioned earlier is another of those semi-mixed medias. Mm. I like that. I'll definitely give that one. I'll put that one on my list too. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I think that's probably us done. Thank you so much for joining us yeah. again, Anne-Marie. It was really great to hear your suggestions, which were as ever brilliant. We look forward to speaking to you again soon, I hope. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure it was to have Anne-Marie returning to the podcast for another superb recommendation. I do really love the kind of variety of recommendations that we get every time we talk to one of our library team members because they just all read different things and it's such a, you know, you don't ever get the same kind of thing twice. And they have such a passion for their subject as well. It's great to immerse yourself in the company of people who's who for but reading is such a love of their lives. Mm, That's so true. Well, that's about all we've got time for today. Well, thank you very much to Beth O'Leary and to Anne-Marie for chatting with us. And thank you for listening. I'm Kate Price-McCarthy. And I'm Hattie Dulac.